Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. The Tribe Lagos is a gospel expression based in the city of Lagos, committed to reaching the next generation with the message of God's love and grace. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. The book of Romans. Say the book of Romans. Amen. Now, this is one of Paul's masterpieces. Romans. And so we'll try in a short time to touch on a lot of things in a short time. Hallelujah. So it's more of a summary of summaries. Uh-huh. It's more of a summary of summaries. And the reason why it's a masterful thesis is that it was one of Paul's foremost discourse about the state of man. About the state of man. And in his writing, we could see where Paul stood and the transition he made into the glorious life that is in Christ Jesus. And because of that transition Paul made, we see that we also have been given a blueprint to be able to enter this glorious life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right, so the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, the verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised at all time by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of Abraham according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Paul in his writing is telling us the process by which his gospel is based and the gospel of God is based. He said the gospel of God is based on number one, the incarnation, how Jesus Christ was made the seed of Abraham and the seed of David by the flesh and the seed of God or the son of God by power according to the spirit of holiness then he says that the effect of that power was by the resurrection from the dead hallelujah now in Romans 1 Paul salutes a couple of people then he quickly gets into how he longs to see the church that is in Rome that he may impart unto them some spiritual gifts to the end that they may be established then he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for therein is the power of God, you know, revealed. He said, from faith to faith, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So he was saying that the gospel is the picture of God's righteousness. If you want to understand righteousness, it is the gospel. The goal of the gospel is to bring the child of God to the place of righteousness. The Bible says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, because ye are babes. Then he said in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, we, anyone that is unskillful in the word of righteousness is a babe and hath need of milk. So what makes a mature person is not how many years you've been in the Lord. It's actually the revelation of righteousness. So if you have a righteousness problem, it means you are still a babe. So Paul is saying something very powerful that the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. 
Now, time will fail me to go there, but the righteousness of God has to do with the justice of God. And in that justice system of God, once upon a time, God's throne was under threat, and God could not contradict himself. Justice and mercy has met. So in that uncontradictory dimension of God, God is bound by his own word. He is so powerful, he decides that what he says will be his law. You see, God is not afraid to let go of power because he's more powerful. So he's not afraid to be bound by power because he's more powerful than that binding power. <laughs> Anything that binds God is not a limitation to God. It's just a reduction into purpose, what his power carries. So when God says he's bound by law, bound by the word, he's just saying that you are giving my power wheels by which it should do a thing. And this same God had his throne under threat. But that is actually the beginning of the tale of the cross. I call it the tale of the cross. Why? God needed to solve a problem. He had a twin problem. And that twin problem was sin and Lucifer. And the cross, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says, it said, we are not ashamed of the preaching of the gospel of this cross. For therein is the power of God revealed. And he also says something very powerful. He said, for the cross we see, the preaching of this cross, is foolishness unto the Gentiles. But to us who believed, this is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Because God's wisdom was revealed by the cross. Because had the princes of this world known, they wouldn't have crucified him. It means that when God put the cross there, he was using higher wisdom than Satan. And Satan couldn't see what God was doing. He thought he had got God. So the cross is a picture of God's wisdom. Number two, it is the place where God dealt Satan's highest blow and stripped him of all keys and power. So the cross is a picture of God's power. Hallelujah. And the thing that we preach is the revelation of the righteousness of God. And I'll explain why when we get into the various breakdowns. So after Paul writes this, he comes to state the depravity and the state of man from chapter 1. He comes to speak about the beginning, how that God created. And the Bible says, from the beginning of creation, creation has no excuse from the verse number, sorry, the verse number, um, yeah, for verse number 20, it says, For the visible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Colon. Then he comes to list the reasons why creation has no excuse. He said when he created man, now if you keep reading, he speaks about how that even without the law, they had a law in themselves. So the Bible says every man did good according to that which he knew was good. So even though they didn't know the gospel, there is a certain good in man that makes them walk according to goodness. And he says, so creation is without excuse. It means the day you get to judgment seat, even those who have not heard the gospel have no excuse. Because God created them in a way to walk according to a certain pattern. But Paul further went on to say that there was a depravity that entered the system. He said they did not retain God in their thinking and esteem the creature higher than the creator. So because of that, God gave them over to vile affections and a reprobate mind. And because they, they changed the use, then he entered what happened from the days of Cain. Then he entered what happened in the degradation further in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. How women lost their natural use and all that. Bible said they kept on going like And Bible said they started worshipping the creation rather than the creator. 
You go to different continents today and you'll be surprised the kind of things people worship. Some worship onions, some worship dragons, some worship lizards, some worship stone, all sorts of things because now they are worshiping their crea creation more than the creator because they didn't retain God in their thinking. And Paul was trying to tell us the history of our condemnation, how finished we were. And in that history of our condemnation, chapter 2 continues the story of how man had lost his entire person. He had even gone to a place where he had become so depraved in his conscience. Then we see what chapter, so forgive me, I'm just sum, summing up. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 speaks of the condemnation of man, the state of man, where man was. And the reason why Paul was doing this was this. You cannot be saved if you don't know you need to be saved. So Paul says, I have to state where we are. We thought we were wise, but we kept falling down in our morality. We kept going down the pecking order in the ability to walk properly as the created ones of God. Then chapter 3, Paul now comes and introduces something called the doctrine of justification. So he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he said, there is none without excuse. For everyone is the same. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he comes to say that God himself expounded his righteousness unto us. In verse 24, then 25, he says that, and he died for the sins which are past to make propitiation for their sins and reconciliations. So he was saying that man has now come to a place where it's only by justification by God that will be possible. Then he comes to verse chapter 4. I want to focus on an aspect. That's why I'm, I'm running through like that. Then he comes to chapter 4. Then he gives us an example of justification. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 talks about condemnation in totality. Our depraved state, our finished state. But chapter 3 talks about the doctrine, the concept of justification. But chapter 4 now gives us an example. Abraham, our father. And he starts talking. Now he says, go to Romans 4 verse 1. Okay, there's no... There's no signal there. Romans 4, 1, quickly. He said, what shall we say then about Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath well off to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, if you read the book of Romans, you see the terminology, reckon, counted, imputed. The word reckon, counted, imputed in the language is the word logizomai, which means to balance the accounting books. So when he says reckon, account, impute, it is balancing an accounting book. It means that you have to draw a ledger, the debit column and the credit column. That's what Paul was saying. He said it was counted for righteousness unto Abraham. Now, how was this counted for righteousness unto Abraham? Now, remember in Romans 1.16, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for therein is the power of God revealed, and is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. So, we see that there is something that has happened now to Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that he believed, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. But if you're a very good student of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham believed, according to Hebrews 11, from verse 7. It says, and when Abraham, by faith, was called by God to go into a country which he did not know, he followed the Lord. 
So the first time God called Abraham, he had faith, but it was not imputed as righteousness. So when did this imputation of righteousness come? Genesis 15, quickly. This is what we call the masterful thesis of Paul. These are one of the high, high points. Then when you come to Hebrews also, high. Now, Hebrew is one, one terrific book of the Bible. If you're a very good student of Paul's writings, you'll notice Paul will quote a scripture as it is written. Then he will state words as Isaiah said, as this person said. Hebrews is a very funny book that kept quoting the Old Testament without making reference to who said it. You understand? He doesn't, and you'll be surprised. In Hebrews chapter 1, he quotes a lot. One in a certain place I said, Thou art my son, in whom I sit down on my, on my right hand till I make thy enemies thy fools too. Then he, he, he write again, and again he say it. When he bringeth his son into this world again, then again he say it. I and the children the Lord have given me, we are for signs. And again he say it. So he's quoting a lot of scriptures. Isaiah, Jeremiah, mixing it up. And he starts without giving an introduction. You know why? Because he's addressing the Hebrews. The word is pro Sibrios, to the river crosses. That's the meaning of the Hebrews. To the river crosses. I have a letter to write to you. Now, if I tell you about Jesus now, you will not understand what I'm talking about. But he was saying that he's introducing Jesus to these Jews. So he didn't have to introduce himself as the writer. That's how come the book of Hebrews is the only book that Paul didn't write a salute. In fact, people have argued over the authorship of that book. because of. But if you look at the writing, it had to do with Paul. Because he was the only one who was learned enough in the law to be able to explain grace. Peter couldn't do that. Peter tried. But you see, Peter is a man of works. So if he enters law, he will make us do things. Do, do, be holy as I am holy. That's Peter. You know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. In Romans 15, he says, then these are the words of the Lord that came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield, an exceeding great reward. And Abraham said to the Lord, Will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And he said, No. Behold, to me have, 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 have you given no seed? And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Because in those days there was a law that if you have no child, your servant can take over your possessions. And Abraham was trying to in, in, introduce that law to God. And God said, no. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And the Lord brought Abraham, listen, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Now look at what he said here. Many times we quote the scripture and say, He came to number and count the stars. But the Bible didn't say that. He said, tell the stars. Please, is that, is that what's in the Bible? Okay. Tell the stars. If thou remember them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So the first time Abraham was called, he believed in the Lord, but it was not yet counted for righteousness. Something different happened here that caused his belief to provoke the imputation of righteousness. Please, are you here? Because we are seeing the example of justification. 
So I just want to touch on this quickly. Now, he said, tell the stars, if thou can number it. Now, anytime you see stars in the Bible, for instance, when Joseph had a vision about the stars, that vision of the stars, the Hebrew language actually calls the stars constellations. So Joseph actually had a vision about the constellations. It's the same word that is used here, stars, constellations. So he said, so the literal Greek says that, tell the story of the constellations. And in telling the story of the constellations, he saw something that made him believe the Lord. Number one, as he was telling the stories of the constellation, there's a constellation called Virgo. And Virgo is a constellation of the Virgin. There's also another constellation called Hydra. Hydra is the serpent. There's a constellation called Sagittarius. It's the half-man, half-ghost. Azazel, Satan. There's another constellation called Pieces, the fish. Scorpio, the Scorpio. Then there's also another constellation called Leo, the lion. If, you see, there is astrology and astronomy. God always has a problem with astrology. That's where you get the horoscope and zodiacs. The study of the stars. But there's astronomy, the law of the heavens. Because he said in Job 32, Job 32, he said, Has thou known the ordinances and the laws of the heaven that thou mightest set its rule upon the earth? So there are ordinances in the heaven. And if you remember creation, when he created the greater light, which was the sun, and the lesser light, which was the moon, and the stars, to tell the seasons and the times. So the stars were to tell seasons and the times. That's why. The wise men saw a star and knew a king was born. They were not astrologers. They were astronomers. They are two different things. <laughs> so in this astronomical explanation, it is said that the star or the constellation called Hydra is the serpent. And it covers actually one third of the skies. Which fulfills Revelation 12. He uses tail to draw one third of the stars of the heavens. Then there's also a constellation called Virgo, which is the Virgin. Then there's also a constellation called Leo, which is the Lion. And the strange thing about Virgo and Leo is that Virgo is close to Leo, but Leo's paws is upon Hydra's head. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. God had written, already written the story in the stars. Recently, I was watching, some, some, some two, three, four years ago, I was watching the Hubble's telescope on sounds in space. And you'll be shocked when Psalm 19 said, the heavens declare the glory of God. There is a beat in space. It goes Then you hear the Sounds, stars make sounds. Polaris, Aurora Borealis, Hercules, they all make sounds. Yes. And there's a constellation. When you look at the constellation, there's a cross in the, in the constellation. It's white like a sun with a cross in it. He already told the story in the stars. <laughs> oh, God is very deliberate. Oh, it's deliberate. I don't see how I can go to space and doubt God. That, that thing in space is not evolution. It's higher intelligence. It's plant design. 
Hallelujah. And so that was what Abraham also saw. So when Abraham saw the story, because God said now, tell the story of the constellations. After seeing the story of the constellation, he now believed in the Lord. Then righteousness came to him. Why am I saying what I'm saying? Righteousness can never be imparted until the revelation of Christ is released. So the reason why this second belief brought righteousness was because he saw Christ in the stars. He saw the story of Christ. Oh, have you forgotten what Jesus said himself? This thing happened twice. Jesus said, before Abraham was in John 8, I am. Abraham rejoiced to my day. Indeed, he saw it and rejoiced. He saw it twice. He saw it in the stars and he saw it when he was sacrificing his son, Isaac. Because Isaac was carrying the firewood. And he climbed to a place called Moriah. It's actually an outcut from the place we call Golgatha. The skull of the giant. Which is also Calvaria in Latin. Calvary. And you know the shocking thing? It is believed that the skull of Goliath was found under the mountain. And for a long time, the Israelites were not finding the Ark of the Covenant. Apparently, it was under the mountain. <laughs> God is very deliberate. I'm telling you. Up to now, I don't know where the ass. You know that. It's missing. But some people did the decode and realized it was under the mountain. Because according to the principle of the sacrifice of the sin offering, after the sin offering is offered, blood must touch the mercy seat. So the historians decoded and realized that there's a scientist that found it in the 70s. But I said, God told me not to show it out. I was the Jews who forget Jesus and go back to the earth. And he said, when he decoded the thing, he found it under the exact spot that the stop of the cross was. Because when Jesus died and the blood was touching the earth, it cracked open and dripped on top of the seat directly. So that atonement was really fulfilled. Oh, God is deliberate. I'm telling you. I'm going to read the, the, the wars, the civil wars of Israel. When one time they were going to war and a strange wind blew and revealed all the landmines in the same valley that David fought Goliath. That's the same place they fought. And actually, if you read the scripture, it said, the Lord shall descend and his feet shall be upon Edom and Bozrah. And the, he said, the saints shall run to a mountain called Petra. It's the same place connected to the cave of Adullam. God is economical. <laughs> He's economical. Are you here? So Abraham saw the stars and he believed the story. And I'm saying that the second time Abraham saw the Lord was when he said this very powerful statement. In the book of Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says when he had taken Isaac, his only son whom he loved, to the mountaintop, he was about to kill him. Then Isaac asked him, said, Daddy, where is the offering we shall give to the Lord? Listen to the phrase he said. Let's go there. Genesis 22. Quickly. Verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went of them together. Now this, if you, if you read it quickly, you don't see what is happening here. He didn't say God will provide for himself a lamb. He said God himself. He said God will He himself as the lamb. <laughs> yeah, they are sad. 
So he's saying that God provided himself as the lamb. And when the God then did, because he was not yet born, he was a ram in the ticket. Shadowing the limitation of pity in humanity. The ram's strongest point of his being is his horns. Yet the Bible says, strangely enough, the ticket could hold him at the horns. Because he was speaking about God being the ram. But the tree being the flesh, because he said he shall grow before us like a tender plant. Who can speak of his generations? He said, he said, who has believed that report and to whom is the hand of that? He said he shall grow before us like a tender. So the Lord grew like a tender plant. Because anytime you see a plant, it speaks of humanity. But God was the realm, limited by humanity in his most powerful place, his homes. So he was powerful, yet he was in the ticket. Because God has provided himself. A lamb. And Abraham turned. And at the same spot the ram was found is the same place the cross was found. Because it is the man that hanged on a tree. The ram was hanging in the tree. <laughs> it's very economical. And if you listen to what God said, he said, because of what I've done, I'll swear, me too, I'll give my beloved son. If you gave your beloved son here as a man, how can I not give my beloved son as God. And it's at this same spot we shall perfect this transaction. So the next time you read the Bible, take your time. Don't rush through what's preached. Find out for yourself. Lord, what are you saying? And you'll be shocked at the things you see. So Abraham saw the stars of heaven and believed unto righteousness. But this is the mystery about the righteousness of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 quickly. It's a very serious book, so I'm trying my best to so compress a lot of things at the time. And he said, now, to him that worketh is the record not, reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute his sin against. Now, if you read this scripture, he keeps on coming about circumcision and uncircumcision. But the strange thing about this is this. Christians have made a mistake. With Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham hasn't got blessings. There's no scripture like that that says the blessings of Abraham. It is the blessing, one. Not plural, one. There's one blessing. Check your Bible again. It's, it's the blessing of Abraham. And there were so many curses in the Bible. But the Bible says, cursed is the man that hanged on a tree. Because he has delivered us from the curse, not the curses. The curse of the law. There's one curse. And there's one blessing. <laughs> you know what the curse is? The curse is the futility of effort. Trying to rectify what Adam did. We will labor, we will sweat, we will attempt. That's why anytime you live in the law of trying to make a thing happen, you are under the curse of the law. You will try to frustrate yourself. The law did not make anyone perfect, but in bringing a better hope. So the blessing of Abraham is not in trying, it is in trusting. So what it means is this. When the Bible says in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, cursed is the man that hanged on the tree and Christ was made unto us a curse. What it meant was this. Jesus became our curse. 
curse of the law implies effort to meet God's demand. So Jesus became our effort. <laughs> Jesus became my attempt. Jesus became my method to be reconciled with God. And the receipt of that, the receipt of that without works, is what David said, the blessedness of the man. Whom God does not impute righteousness by his works, but by reason of faith. Faith is reconciling what truth has released. Truth has released something. Use faith to grasp it. That's all. Were you there when Mary was pregnant? But you believe the Bible because the Bible said she was virgin birth, isn't it? Whether it's true or not, you have believed by faith, isn't it? Why are you struggling to believe other things? You must not prove everything. You believe that someone could give birth without a husband. You trusted it. I'm sure even when there, you are like, mm, this thing, I don't trust it. Oh, how can a woman be pregnant without a man? I don't trust it. Oh, but you are trusting now. So what else are you trying to do again without trusting? It's called the blessing of Abraham. Abraham didn't have to do anything to be chosen. God said, I've chosen you. So I'll just walk in the, choos the choosing of God. God has already favored you. Walk in it. That's what we call the blessedness. It's called a blessedness. Stop trying. Just trust. Stop. Stop. I get there. I get there. Right. So this is where God showed us the example. And I, I want to show you this example. That the curse of the law is, you are ever going to try to fulfill the law, but you'll never be able to fulfill it. In fact, the curse of the law is such that the more you try to use the law, the more you get frustrated. The more you feel depressed. For instance, let me give you an example. I'll get back to, the, get back to it again. 2019, you started the year. This year, I'll be spiritual. This year, I'll pray more. Oh, I won't insult again. Oh, this is my mouth. This is my mouth. Oh, people will see something this year. You, you just declared. But do you know that is wrong resolution? That is the sin of Peter. God said to Peter, Jesus said to Peter, I said, Peter, you betray me. He said, Lord, how? I swear, I will die with you. Jesus said, take it easy. He said, no, 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 I will die with you. <laughs> you don't know. He said, you don't know what you have done for me. He said, Jesus, he said, because I was a mere fisherman. Nobody knew me. You have given me relevance. I'll die with you. So you see, Peter was always working with Jesus. When Jesus started talking about death, he decided to carry a dagger. <laughs> Whoever will kill this man first. Because you can't take my reputation away. No, no one knew Peter. The other Jesus said, Who? He said, No, I'm guarding you, sir. I'm guarding you. Wherever you go. He was relevant now because of Jesus. So he was protecting Jesus because he loved him. He was protecting Jesus because he is going to lose reputation. Someone has given him a better job than fishing. He has given a higher opportunity than fishing. Hallelujah. Please, are you here? Now, so what happened was this: that as soon as this Peter started speaking. He said, I will not betray you. I will die where you die. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon. This is what he said in Luke 22. The enemy desired to sift you. The literal Greek says the enemy has requested for you legally. And look at what Jesus said. How I know it's legally. Jesus should have said, I have delivered you. But Jesus rather said, I have prayed for you. It means I can't even deliver you. The best I can do was I prayed for you. The moment you enlist the strength of your flesh, you become meat for Satan. Anytime you say, I won't fornicate again, that's when you will fornicate. 
It's not you, it's him. I won't do this again. That's when you will do it. And even if you don't do it, you'll use effort for a moment. And the day you'll do retribution. You'll do more than you have ever done in your life in one week. Yeah? Because you are using effort. That's what Paul is saying. He says it's a blessed day. If you ever, if you ever, if you ever come to a place where you stop a habit, we'll get the Romans 7. Paul said, I have attempted this thing many times. Oh, wretched, I'm, I'm tired. Who can just, you know, you get to a point, you feel like you, I, one day a pastor came to a bishop and said, Bishop, I have a women problem. He said, I, he said, I just can't. You, I know you yourself, you have caught me many times. I keep from the gate. Hey, pastor. So one day he got frustrated. I just walked to the bishop's office one afternoon. He said, Bishop, I have a request. Castrate me. <laughs> he said, just castrate me so we end this temptation. Just cut it off so I'll be free. It's not cutting it off. It's inside you. And the moment you stare up the eye syndrome, you become meat and pray for Satan. And even God can't deliver you. Because he said to Peter, Satan has requested for you legally. I couldn't stop him or rebuke him. I've rather prayed for you. So that in the day you fall, you'll be lifted and be strengthened and strengthen your brothers too. Because what you have just done, you have called Satan your way. So the next time you wake up in 2020, this year, I will be serious. Stop. When you get into any year or any resolution mode, resolution means resolving a picture. So ask him, what is the picture you have painted? Give me the proper lens to see it. And what, it's not about I will. It's, Lord, what is happening this year? That's resolution. Lord, what will happen this year? He said, this year I will show you my glory. Yes, sir. I will show you how to fast. Yes, sir. It's not I will fast. He will do it. Because it is him who works. Not I who works. It's him who works in me. Philippians 2.13. He works in me. Now, you know the funny thing? When the Bible says, work out your salvation, many times you go to that scripture, but we forget there is a working in before you can work out. You can't work out what has not been worked in. He worked it in so you can work it out. And this is what he's talking about, the blessedness. So Paul is talking about a conflict of persons, a dilemma in the human nature. Because he's living in a place I'm totally condemned. But I'm trying to approach the concept of justification. But let me give you an example of a man called Abraham. How did God come back to Abraham? Because if you read the Bible, Abraham didn't, castrate, sorry, didn't um, circumcise himself before the Lord came to speak to him. He was sitting somewhere. Mind his own business. After all the crimes he had done, Genesis 16, 16, he has gone to sleep with Hagar, has Ishmael. And God comes after 13 and says, Abraham, you know something? First, when I started, I said, I'm moving, follow. Adolescents do that, but I realized that <laughs> you have backtracked in your maturity. So now you are going to be a child in front of me. Children play in front of their parents. So now God said, now walk in front of me. Walk before me and be perfect. But as you are at it, castrate the flesh. Take it off, circumcise the flesh of your body. So that you can have full ability to be able to walk and what God has finished for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are you here? So that's how come you see the blessing of the promise, circumcision, uncircumcision. Praise God. Then we come to Romans 5. Paul is building up his thesis to lead us into something. The thesis usually 
or actually ended in 8. Chapter 9 enters what we call the sovereignty of God. So when you read Romans chapter 9, you see Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. As the scripture has said. Then he said, can the clay argue with his potter that I don't like what you are doing to me or I don't, I'm just paraphrasing. He said, can the, no, you see, when you read how Paul writes his letters, Paul always answers the questions he poses. But in Romans 9, he never answers any of the questions because he's trying to say that even me, in all the knowledge I have, I can't question sovereignty. Who God will give 10 talents and who God will love in spite of their flaws is in the realm of sovereignty. It's still in the realm of sovereignty how you didn't decide to be a man, but God said, be a man. He chose it by his wisdom that you will become a woman. That's sovereignty. So Paul said, I ask, I ask many questions and usually answer it. But when Paul is answering this, he said, how can the creator, the, sorry, the creation question his maker? Say me, I do not answer you on this question. Why God loved Jacob and hated Esau? He is God. In any case, if God is a person and has free will, let me ask you a question. Do you all like fair guys? Ladies. Some ladies like dark guys. So you can put three nice guys. One fair, one caramel. Is there, is there, is there a color? Light, light something. Mixture of chocolate. And, it's a chocolate color. Then you have a dark skinned guy. No matter how you convince this girl that this fair guy is a good guy. She doesn't like fair guys. It is in her nature and her will that I don't like fair people. That's how God to say, no matter what you do. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 9 that Esau and Jacob did nothing for God to choose them. He just decided that I like Jacob. And there's nothing you can. So allow God to also like some things that you can't do anything about. That's called sovereignty. He also has a choice. How can you have a choice? God, he also has a choice. He has the person to hit who he likes. I'm not talking of favoritism. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking of God having a free will to choose what he also wants. Allow him, okay? To help all of us. So that's Romans 9, huh? You are blessed? <laughs> so when you get there, don't say, why did God like those? Please, I've helped Pastor Fede. Pastor Fede is Fede's sovereignty. So when they ask you, tell them, Paul didn't even answer. Is it you who try? The one who wrote the letter didn't answer. Is it me? I'll try to explain the one what he didn't answer. Uh, we just, it's not reviewed, so we take it like that. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 now brings to us the revelation of justification. Romans chapter 5. It brings to us the revelation of justification. And this revelation of justification is actually showing us the results we get after justification. So, three tells us the doctrine. One and two tells us the condition of condemnation. Three tells us the doctrine, the concept of justification. Four gives us a literal pictorial example of a person that was justified. And we see the story of Abraham. He did nothing to be chosen by God. The Bible didn't say Abraham was a righteous man, so God called him. No, he just chose him. He even went off many times. God still came back and said, walk before me and be perfect. That's just, God has justified. God chose it by grace. Then Romans chapter 5 shows us the results. So Romans 5, 1 says that, now being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the product of justification is peace. Oh, peace. Bale, 
Do you know what peace is? Grace is the enjoyment of God. Peace is the effect after enjoying God. For instance, if grace is like a meal, any meal you like the most, huh, since I came to, I think I like Eba and Ogbono. It's nice. Then Afa is very powerful. Please, I don't know. Don't If I don't, I've not eaten this yet. That's why these are the ones I have tasted. Please, let's end here. Can we end here? Aha, wonderful. Okay. But the Nigerian Ghana Jollof thing, um, only one person cooked it for me to go to Nigeria. But aside that, it has come back to, I think Ghana is in charge. Hallelujah. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, what I'm trying to say now is this, that. So, imagine that you are eating. Uh-huh, this is sovereignty. God has chosen Ghana. <laughs> Can we accept it? So, imagine you've eaten your best meal. That is grace. Then imagine the feeling you get after being satisfied with your best meal. That's what we call peace. Enjoying the meal is grace. Peace is the effect after the enjoyment. And he said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Because he's our peace who has broken down the middle wall of partition. Ephesians 2.14. Jesus is our peace. He said, peace I give you. I give not as the world gives. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. He said, in this world, you have many tribulations. But in me, you have peace. So peace is not the... The world definition of peace is absence of war. Jesus' definition of peace is stability of your spirit in the presence of calamity. Peter had so much peace, he was going to be sentenced in the morning, yet he was fast asleep. He was so asleep, an earthquake didn't wake him up. The clinging of metal gates, brah, didn't wake him up. The angel had to smote him and he was still fast asleep. Bible said he crossed the road before he realized it was not a dream. So even when the angel told him to wake up, he was dream walking. So he got to the house and said, ah, this is not a dream. And you open his eyes. That's how peaceful he was in his sleep. One small visa you are going to get. You roll to the left, roll to the right. Hey, Jesus, favor, favor, Lord, favor. <laughs> favor, favor, Lord. You dream you were in the console already and you are not there. Then sometimes even dream you were late for the thing. So by the time you open your eyes at three, you are not sleeping here. The Lord has revealed to redeem. Since I was late in my dream, I'll be awake till morning. <laughs> but Peter was fast asleep when they were about to cut off his head. That is peace. Peace. He could walk on storms and Jesus was not moved by the storms. Peace. When he even had to rebuke the storms and they had come to accuse him, he didn't talk to the storm. He said, peace is still. Peaceful storms was agitated peace. So, so my, my peace is agitated. I said, peace, be still. Don't fight. Relax. Then the storm still. He said, we have peace with God. There's an inner sense of well-being and connection to God. The moment you understand justification, you are justified. Oh, he said, now, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. In Romans chapter 3, he spoke about something. He said, and God is, the, is just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why he said all this is that, for instance, in the concept of justification, if a man, for instance, you owe a debt you cannot pay. You owe $10,000, you can't pay it. And because you owe this $10,000, $10, you are not allowed to enter a university. 
and I'll be sacked. Then you meet a philanthropist who tells you that, how much do you owe? He said, ah, he said, oh, I'll pay for you. Then he holds your hands, takes you to the university, pays $1 million. You know, Jesus' sacrifice was an overpayment for what we did. It was an over, he overpaid. So it's like Jesus paying $1 million when you owe $10,000. So when, he, when you, he does the payment for you, now, going back to the school and the principal of the school, the principal of the school cannot say that since you didn't use your money to pay, I will not allow you to enter. Once it has been paid for, whether by me or by someone, the principal is just when he allows me to enter. So the Bible says God will be just and the justifier. What it means to say is this, even if God has a vendetta against you, once you believe in Jesus Christ, he can't deny you access. So he said, if you confess your sins, whether God has a personal beef with you, he has to be, it's a legal term, faithful and just. He can't undo what has been done because you have accessed it by faith. So he has to be faithful and just. Even if God says, I won't forgive you, that act alone overturns his feelings because he has, it has been paid for. So you are standing on the grounds of what has been paid for. That's why he used faithful, which speaks of love, and justice, which speaks of payment. For instance, you stay with a Invested days, we call people purchase or squatters. So, unfortunately, some of them cannot pay their hostel fees, so they join you on the same bed. Can I come pay their fees? Then I go and join this guy on the bed. Then every day I, I lay by his side, we chat, we laugh. Then one day when I come, he's offended. He's not laughing. Do you know as I sleep the whole night, I say, hey, tomorrow I'll sleep outside. Tomorrow, you can't feel you. You just can't sleep because you're like, he's offended. That is why God didn't save us by love alone. Because if he saves us by love, we'll still doubt him. He didn't also save us by mercy alone. Because you are, it's going to be like that guy who said, by love and mercy, come and lie by my side. But if I enter that same room and I pay for a bed, whether my roommate is happy or not, I've paid. I care less. So God said, I will not save you by love alone. I will not save you by mercy alone. But I'll save you by righteousness. That is a full payment for the claims of justice. So it has been fully paid for. Your sickness has been fully paid for. That, look, to cast out devils is not possible if it has not been fully cleared. To cast, to cast is not to plead. It's not to discuss. It's not to enter peace treaty. Cast means it's an illegal entry. So every casting out of a devil or disease is an illegal transaction in the realm of the spirit on your body. Because it has been paid for that you should be free. He has declared the acceptable year of the Lord and has told the captives. The message version says, walk free. He has declared to you, go free. You are free. You are free. You are free. Hallelujah. Are you here? I'm trying to get to what I want to share with you today. So we are, I told you it's a big subject, but this one is compressed, compressed. All right. So the results of justification. And strangely enough, chapter 6 shows us the picture of sanctification. Reckon ye therefore your members as instruments of righteousness. So in chapter 5, we see justification, results of justification. But chapter 6 ushers us into the process of sanctification. Now I just want to give you some differentials here. Of the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is judicial redemption. Justification is on the grounds of justice. It's judicial. It's legal. It's declared. You are free. Go. But when it comes to sanctification, 
is on the grounds of organic salvation. You understand when I give the further examples. Number two, justification is an outward position. You are justified. But sanctification is an inward disposition. So outward position does not necessarily mean inward disposition. Let me give you an example. For instance, if I come to you and, you know, sometimes you have some masquerades or you have people who stand as painted, uh, what do you call it, advertisement. You can paint a guy blue. Okay? Then he's painted blue. But the fact that he's painted blue does not mean he's blue inside. But if the same person, I paint blue and inject blueness into him. So he's not just blue. Inside him is also blue. So justification is the outward position God has given us. But sanctification is the inward disposition to the response of that outward position. That's sanctification. Justification removes the guilt of sin. Sanctification removes the power of sin. Justification works for us. Sanctification works in us. Justification works for us. Sanctification works in us. Hallelujah. Now let's go to some reckoning in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, 14 to 21, we see by the offense of one man, sin entered. And grace by the obedience of another. So you see opposites. Now, everyone that came as a result of Adam was the debit column. Everyone that came as a result of Christ is the credit column. So Paul said reckon. Reckon means do an accounting now. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. Verse 14. All right. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as of the offense, as also of the, is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man many, de- many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abound. And not as, it, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is as of many offenses unto justification. Now, when you keep reading back and forth, we will see the debt and credit going on. Now, in the debit column, first and foremost, it starts with Adam. Adam is our first. We read seed of Adam. From verse number 12. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So Adam is our first debit. Our second debit is actually what we call transgression. In Romans 5.14, we just read it. Transgression. When you see offense or disobedience, it's also the same word for transgression. It's in the debit column. So, if you can put at the debit side, Paul is saying we should do an accounting book. So, debit column, number one, first debit. I think the will understand this more. Second debit item is transgression. Third debit item is sin. 
It says sin reigned. Sin reigned by death. Say sin reigned by death. He said sin reigned by death. Now, when he mentions sin reigning by death, he was connecting sin in verse 21 of the same Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 5, that, that as sin hath reigned unto death. Now, when he uses the term sin, he's not saying sin as a verb. He's saying sin as a person. So sin was reigning even unto death. So sin here is sin as a person. He is called the mystery of sin. Now, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says that, now great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Seen of angels. So, he was talking about the, the mystery of godliness is the manifestation of God in the flesh. Then the Bible also calls sin in its highest, the mystery of iniquity. It's the manifestation of Satan in the flesh. So, God in the flesh is called mystery of godliness. Satan in the flesh is called mystery of iniquity. And this son here is talking of a person. He's called the son of perdition or the son of sin. Alright. The next one is also judgment according to verse 18. So we are doing debit and credit over here. Verse 18 says that, For by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men unto condemnation. Then he said unto condemnation. So the next one after judgment is condemnation. Then when you sum the total of Adam, Transgression, sin, condemnation, and what? Judgment. The total in the debit column is death. It's death. It's death. Death is not the cessation of life. It is the cessation of the experience of a life form. Closing your eyes and dying is not, is the end, it's actually the, how do I call it? It's the height of death. Death began in Adam. Let me explain why. I've shared it before here when I came last time. In Job 18, verse 13. He said, the firstborn of death shall take away his strength. Weakness is a child of death. He shall root away his confidence. Anxiety, inferiority complex are all children of death. Anytime you are anxious, you should know death is playing with you. In fact, the baby of death is called weakness. The adolescence of death is called sickness. The grown death is called death. So he said, many of you are weak, are sick, and are dead. So it's a, it's a grade. You grow in it. It starts from weakness. It graduates to sickness. Then it ends in death. So anytime you see fear, you should know death is around. Anytime you are anxious, you should know you are, you are in the realm of death. Because when death entered Adam for the first time, he said, I heard your voice and I went to hide. Death has come. He has touched death. So this is what death did. So ladies and gentlemen, if you understand the concept of righteousness, that's what E.W. Kinyon say. You can stand Satan eyeball to eyeball and not be moved. You can tell the devil, get out. Get out. And you're gone. Charles Finney one day went for a crusade. And when he went for a crusade, he came back after a long night of praying. When he got home, the students will complain. His children will complain that, Daddy, a certain guy has been rocking the chair every night. A strange creature. He says, that's so. He said, the next time he comes, let me know. So he was sleeping and at dawn, the children came. Daddy, 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 he's here. So he went out in his robe. Then went to see his chair in the, you know, the, the patio. And he saw the chair rocking. And when he went, he saw 
Satan in the chair, rocking the chair with a black face. <laughs> I don't know why Satan is black. Can't Satan be white? <laughs> everything is black. Black ball, black everything. <laughs> Anyways, Satan was just rocking the chair. Uh, okay, that's what we know. He's black. Let him be black or red. So he was just rocking the chair. All of a sudden, when Charles he saw the Satan, he said, Ah, I thought it was someone better. He went back to sleep. He didn't even pray. He didn't cast the devil out. He said, Ah, I thought it was someone important. He just wore his robe, went to sleep. The devil found his way and went. Sometimes Satan has rule in your life because you are giving too much attention. You are pampering him. The devil is saying, oh, No, 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 no. No. But I'm not also saying that Satan is doing something to yourself. Oh, ignore Satan. He will bite you. He, you. you <laughs> You do that on the grounds of faith and your authority in Christ. That knowledge is necessary. You don't just go say, oh, Satan, I thought it was somebody important. As you are saying, Tasa, you are, you just go down. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't talk again. They don't do that. You will be like the sons of Skiva. You are just attempting what you have heard. No, they don't attempt like that. It comes by Rema. So he operated in the authority of Christ. He said, I thought it was someone better. Just went back to sleep. No prayer topic. I was sharing them at the meeting where Lester Sumner went to preach in the Amazons. And after preaching, he encountered a fetish. And he casted the devil out. And apparently he was the one in charge of making rulers in the nation. And frogs came out of him. And when he got to the house, a wind had scattered his house. In fact, when he entered the room, the wind was still blowing. His curtains were hanging. You know, gravity is supposed to make the thing just blow and come down. But the curtains were still continuously in an upward position. He said, what's going on? So he said he just entered the room and sat down. Then he realized it was the devil. Then he said, Satan, get out. Then the curtains came down. Bram. The house was lying down. He said, ah, come back. <laughs> then when he said, he said, come back. When you came, is this where the bed was? <laughs> he said, put it back. He said, as he was lying in the bed, the bed was there vibrating. <laughs> Went back to the right place. He said, now you can go. No, no. It, it, when the man comes to the revelation of righteousness, you don't even entertain fear. You don't entertain anxiety. Anxiety is trust in self. The height of pride is infinity complex, if you didn't know. It's more subtle than being too overconfident. You see, there's overconfidence, positive number line, negative number line, if you're too complex. It's both trust in self. Just that someone is timid, someone is oversure. Your trust should be in the Lord. Trust the Lord. If he says I'll do it, then that's all. Whether I can do it or not, he said I'll do it. Let's go. We go. Hallelujah. Death is the height. The other, other side, after the bal- to balance it now, on the credit side, the credit side is Christ. Because if Adam was the one that the Bible said by the offense of one, sin reigned, then by the obedience of the other, life also came. So Jesus is the means and the person by which we reign in this life. Romans 5.14 mentions the transgression of Adam. It also mentions the obedience of Jesus Christ. Today, God does not see... <laughs> Let me show you how God sees you. When God sees you, he sees you in the obedience of Christ. Do you know what the obedience of Christ is? It's not to obey Christ. It's the obedience of. Not the, not, not the obedience to. Or the obedience for the obedience of Christ, it implies that the Bible says, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. What it means to say is that by his obedience to reduce himself to nothing and to die on the cross, all that action is called the obedience of Christ. 
So in the New Testament, Paul says, obedient children. We've done nothing, but he's calling the, the saint obedient children because his obedience is reckoned as our obedience. Because if he died, that's where we also dead. If he was raised, that's where we also raised. Then in that same position, God also sees us as obedient. So from transgression, we have entered obedience. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have this concept, it will help you. Oh, now, if righteousness concept, you have to understand. Do you know when Adam was walking in the garden, Adam was innocent, but not yet perfect. Adam was innocent. He was neither left or right. He was just in the middle. He was called the neutral man or the natural man. What it meant was this. He said in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, the man and his wife were naked, but the two of them were not ashamed. Now that phrase is very interesting. Not ashamed. It means something should have made them ashamed. Number two, when God came and found Adam complaining about his nakedness, he didn't say that's not true. He said, who told you? It means I knew you were naked, but I never told you. God, when he works with you, does not call out your faults. His fellowship deals with your faults. He met Zacchaeus. He never called out his faults once. Kept eating. Zacchaeus started confessing. He never called out the faults of the woman who had committed adultery. But the woman herself said, this is the last time. It has left me. It has left me. He followed Jesus everywhere he went. Never did she go back. Go and read the Bible. Go, oh, go and read the Bible. Not once. Not once. Not once. Not once did he say, Mary Magdalene, do you remember those days? Remember how we met? You have enjoyed it this. No, no, Jesus never did that. He never thought, no, he dealt with Mary Magdalene as if she has never ever slept with anybody before. That's the Lord. You know why? The Bible says, when the spirit of truth is come, he shall reprove the world of sin. The Holy Ghost in you does not reprove, reprove you of sin after sin. He tells you when you are getting close to sin. He doesn't wait. The Holy Ghost does not wait till you are done. He tells you before you get there. In fact, weeks before, pray, fast, Stop this friendship. He was giving you nudges. So when you sing, the voice that comes and says, Ah! So you have done it. Really? Oh, that's the last time. Next week, don't go to church. When you get to church, kneel down. And you get to church, and the pastor says, Lift up, holy hand. The devil says, The hand is holy. Put it up. So you do this, you come down again. Hey! Hey! You can't worship. We are just some way because. There is a condemning voice. It is called the accuser. Rebuke that devil and say, Satan, shut up. That's why David said, this is the blessedness of the man whom the Lord does not account the word imputed, account his sins unto him. So when God was dealing with David, after everything David did, he said, it's a man after my own heart. I'll raise my son after the sure message of David. He will sit in the throne of David. After everything David did, God said, this one, I like him. <laughs> so Adam was walking with God, and God knew that fellowship would correct his mistakes. But he was fellowship with the wrong people who were rather calling out his mistakes. Satan makes you sin conscious. God makes you righteousness conscious. 
So you know when he was offering the sin offering? He said, sprinkle it once on the mercy seat, but seven times at your feet. Why? God knew that to him, once is enough, but to us, seven is what will give us. Number two, he said the sin offering, you offer it when you sin, but the burnt offering, night and day. The burnt offering actually is different from the sin offering. The sin offering, a lamb is taken, and the sin, the one who sins, touches the head of the lamb and imputes his sin into the lamb, then they kill it. So it means he has died on behalf of the he, uh, the animal has died on his behalf. But with the burnt offering, an innocent lamb is also taken. Then you touch the innocent lamb, and the innocence of the lamb comes to the one who touches it. So the righteousness of the lamb now comes to the animal. But God said, when you sin, kill it. But even if you have not sinned, this one, do it in the morning and the evening. You know why? God said, I want you to be righteousness conscious than sin conscious. So even if you have not sinned, kill this one. 9 a.m., morning sacrifice. 6, 3 p.m. evening sacrifice so that every day you are, sin, you are righteousness conscious. Because when you were a child, you look at the floor, you will kick things and fall down. But when you grew up, the less you look at the ground, you walk better. As long as you keep looking at your sins, you keep going there. So when Satan comes and starts playing you a track record, remember last year. Hey, it was not a joke. Then you start remembering how you ended up there. Very soon, you will be going there again. So the next time Satan comes to give you reminiscence of your escapade, tell the devil, shut up! I'm a new Christian. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. Is it me I'm going to remember? In Jesus' name, I'm done. That's all. Because you must be, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's it, it, justification. Someone, one day I went to preach this message. Can the believer go to hell? Can the right? All those men, after preaching, a government official came to me and said, man of God, the way you preach is as if we are saying we should sin. I said, no. Paul himself, after writing all this, came to the issue of sanctification. He said, so because grace abounds, should we continue to sin? He said, God forbid. What I'm telling you is this. Grace is given for the life of God, not for the encouragement of sin. So he said, how shall ye that are dead live any longer to sin? Know ye not that your life. He said, know ye not that as many of you that are baptized in Jesus Christ were also baptized unto his death. Therefore, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you also ought to walk in the newness of life. The grace is given to walk the life of God. Not a license. It's not licentiousness. Paul even corrected it. He said, I'm not saying because of grace we should continue to sin. No, I'm just telling you that what we have gives us a right frame of mind to keep walking the right way. Because if you are coming to God every day with condemnation, you will keep not feeling good enough to come to God. But when you go to God and say, hey, I am Sometimes I guess, have you, have you ever got to the point where you are tired of asking for forgiveness? If you are not there yet, you have not yet grown. No, when you grow in God, it gets to a point you are even tired of saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Because you know, you know as you are saying this, you are not even sure whether you will say it again in two minutes. So you are like, Baba, do what you will do. You do. This one, I've said I'm tired. Do. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The next one is sin. Is the debit as a person. Grace is the credit as a person. He said, God, who teaches men to say no unto godliness has appeared unto all men. Grace is a person. Grace is God in the race. Grace is God in the race. Then he said, judgment unto the transgression of many. He said, therefore, we receive righteousness. Instead of judgment, we receive righteousness. Then instead of condemnation, we receive justification. Instead of being condemned, he declares us acquitted. We are discharged. The word justification means acquitted, discharged. 
justified. Go. Because someone has paid on your behalf. And the sum total of all of that is life. And this life is the uncreated life of God. I've said it before. It's not the longevity of life. It is the quality of life. The lion roars because in it is the animal's life and the lion's life to roar. In you is the life of God to live like God. The monkey likes banana, not because it's trained to like it. Inside the monkey's DNA, there's something that draws it to banana. No matter how much you give your lion cup milk to drink, one day to smell blood, it's inside the lion. The same way, no matter how much Satan has fought you, one day you roar. Because inside you is the DNA of God. Somebody here. But quickly, let's go to as we end. Romans chapter 6, I said to you, is the principle of what? Sanctification. And this is actually the deliverance from flesh. Now, the flesh is the womb from which all sins are born. The flesh. The flesh. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, for me to write this letter unto you again, for me it is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concession. But we are the circumcision of God. He was saying that there were some people who were religiously cutting the foreskin. And Paul said they were concession. Not circumcision. Concession. They were just making marks on their flesh. It was just traditional. No spirit behind it. But he said, we rather the saints are the circumcision of God. And you know what Paul said about it? He said, we have no confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Now see what he says in verse, verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath any, whereof he must trust in the flesh, I am more. Now he was now come to mention how he was born. Circumcised on the eighth day. A stock of Israel. A tribe of Benjamin. Then he said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisees. So Paul is now saying that the flesh is not just evil. It's actually trust in birthright. Trust in educational background. Trust in personal zeal. That is the flesh. The flesh is anything you do without the assistance of Jesus. Anything you can do or achieve without considering Christ. That's actually the flesh acting. I'm telling you. Whether it's good or bad. So look at what Paul said. Look at what he said. <laughs> he said, now, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. So when it comes to holiness, I know I'm holy. I have no issue. But this is it. But what things were gained to me, those I have logizomide, I have put. So he's saying that birthright, where I was born, my family name, my history, my academics, first class, best student, all of that I've put it in debit. And I've counted it as loss in the debit column. And to my credit column, I have logizomide Christ. Doubtless, I count things. I have accounted all these things but loss for the excellency. Of Sometimes you see your academic pedigree can limit you from entering God. 
Sometimes your profession can make you feel that you shouldn't be zealous for God because, you know, judges can't be too spiritual, you know. Lawyers have to be balanced a little and doctors must use a little sign. But he's saying this, I have counted all I know as loss. And in my credit column, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So if you don't know the flesh, so Paul said in Romans 7, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's why I said to you, for you to even think that you can be good, you have not sinned enough. Oh yeah, you have not sinned enough. The day, <laughs> there's a point you sin too much and you get to a point where that my flesh, my flesh, me, my flesh. It's like, you don't trust yourself again. No, 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 no. Um, you are, when you hear someone for negating, you don't go like, oh, how could he? No, you, don't, you have not sinned enough. Yeah. There's a point you get to when you hear someone falling in the Lord. You go like, hey, Paul said you should have mourned. Ye should have mourned. He said, ye, is, some of you are saying you have slept with your father's wives and, and you are, he said, others are proud. And what he was trying to say was that when some people fell, other people were feeling that, ah, we said it. The way he's not serious with church, we said it. Pray, 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 you pray. Why won't this happen to you? He said, you were puffing up. He said, no, that is not the right approach to a brother who falls in church. He said, all of us should feel pity. We should have mourned. Because we are, Satan is in the 18. You too, you can be next. It's even grace. You see, Samson thought he was strong till he met Delilah. You have not met a Delilah yet. Oh yeah, so you think you're anointed. Yeah, some people press your buttons like PlayStation. You are like, hey. you, are, you, you, are, you have turned to a puppet. The, oh yes, don't boast though. <laughs> because I, I read a story of mighty pastors in the US, Jim Baker. Jimmy Swaggart, all of them, do you know why they fell? They criticized fellow pastors for fornicating. In fact, they bashed them through messages. The next time they realized, some of them were set up. Theirs was even worse, not their secretaries. Prostitutes. One even slept, Jimmy Haggard, he slept with a trans, transgender, a male, and she, he didn't know. And since that day, yeah, since that day, trouble for him. If you know Jimmy Swaggart very well, David is pressing the keyboard. Every day I see him, ask God why. The Lord tells me, he said, he's still trying to come out. He's, ne he's never recovered from that act because he feels ashamed. They had to stand in front of the church and apologize profusely. So you don't boast. Probably you have not been caught. And the Pharisee, you know the Pharisee spirit? The Pharisee spirit is, this is the Pharisee. He is hard on others and soft on himself. You always make excuses when it's you. But when it's others, no, he can't do that. He's not the man of God. Doesn't know the word of God. No, 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 no. But if it's you, Lord, you know my frame. No, how's that? How's that possible? That's a Pharisee. But a spiritual man is hard on himself and easy on others. He rather makes excuses for them that, oh, perhaps there's a reason they are doing what they're doing. Everybody will praise according to the knowledge they have. But you, you are hard on yourself, like, how could I? How, how, how? That's a spiritual man. He said, there's deliverance from the flesh. But let's go to seven quickly. In seven, Paul now begins to introduce two laws. In fact, three, which also seep into chapter eight. These are what I call the laws of life. Romans chapter six is deliverance from the flesh. Romans chapter 7 is deliverance from the law. So he starts Romans 7 1 by saying, Look what he said. Look what he said, Romans 7 1. 
Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, because he's talking in reference to the law, how that the law have dominion over a man as long as the man is alive. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if the husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That ye should be married to another, even to him who has raised you from the dead, and which and that we shall bring forth fruit unto God. So he was talking about two things that once upon a time death reigned unto Moses. And the reason why death reigned unto Moses was that sin was in the world, but sin had not been imputed. So Paul said something in Romans 7. He said, I did not know sin till the law came. Verse 13 said, so that the law made sin exceedingly sinful. What he meant was that man had fallen short of God's glory. But man was working in self-government and human government. So though man was in sin, he didn't see he was sinning. He felt it was right. What, what are you? It's like talking to a non-believer. When you say, why are you drinking? He like, what? Alcohol. A little alcohol is good. And you quote in the Bible. Drink, but don't be drunk. It's in the Bible. You quote. You know, you quote something. Like, you know, I don't think it was, was a big deal. I'm, I'm going to marry the person anyway. So if something happens, they'll have a defense. Because they don't see what you are seeing. They don't see what you are seeing. They, they are lost. And that's what, that's what sin and what Paul was trying to communicate to us. So Paul is saying to us this, that the law was once married. He was married to us. And the reason why the law came was this. Man was in a state of sin. And man didn't see in Romans, sorry, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19. He said the law did not make anything perfect but in bringing a better hope. When God gave the law, God gave the, let me shock you, God gave the law for you to break it. He didn't give the law to be kept. He wanted man to see that you call yourself holy, no problem. I'm giving you 10 commandments. If you can keep it, then you are really holy. And he gave the law and they were messing up left, right, center. Till man got to a point and realized that. That's why the Bible says, in the process of time, he sent his son. You know what the process of time means? A drowning man cannot be saved if he doesn't think he needs saving. One day, someone went to a pool and the man was shouting, save me, save me. The Lamb God was waiting. And the guy said, my friend is dying. Why are you know? He said, no, 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 save me. Then the guy lost energy. When he started sinking, then the lad got jumped into the pool to save him. And he said, why did you wait? To... He said, if I enter whilst he's struggling, we'll both die. Because just that, this papa, papa, you will smash my nose and we'll all die. I came to save you. So he said, I have to wait till he has no need of self-effort. Then I can save him. That's why the law came. The law was given for us to see that we can't catch up to the standard of God. So it was given for us to be broken. So we realize that we are wretched. We need help. So he said the law didn't make anything perfect. So the law came. Paul said, now sin came alive. Because once upon a time, we were doing things and we didn't know it was sin. So the law came and said, this one thou shalt not. Before man realized that, hey, this is also sin. 
ah, that one is sin. Then sin became exceedingly sinful. Please, are you here? But this is the thing. The moment that law came, Bible said, now in the days of, uh, what do you call it? Moses, the law now married the church. The law now married Israel. Israel was called the church in the wilderness. The law now married Israel. And in that marriage union, he said, that union could not be dissolved till one person dies. And Paul writing this said, remember what Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle shall be cancelled out of this because the word of God will remain forever. So the law is not going anywhere. The law is immortal. It's not dying. So if there's any death going to happen, it must be the ones who have married the law. Not the law. The law is not dying. It's going to be there forever. Because the law is good. Romans 7 said the law is good. The law is perfect. Because every law shows the heart of the lawgiver. So the law is not bad. But the law has an It's called the function of the law. When the law came, a man became, man was struggling. And this is the point. The law is also perfect. Imagine the picture Paul is now painting. That this is the law. We are married to him. He is perfect in everything. He irons, blue shirts to blue shirts, pink to pink, black to black, meticulous, make to well. You know, everything has to be some way. There's a way he likes his things, colored. If you iron with two lines, no, it has to be one straight line. Starch must be like this, angle, starching. You know, you arrange. No, you don't arrange anything anyhow. Don't leave the room, the bed is scattered. Uh-uh. Something's, no. It's not an OCD, it's another dimension. I understand. Hmm. It's not compulsive, but it's just another. So the person wants things in a certain way. Person, that's the law. Perfect. But the painful thing about the law is this: that he is a husband. He is perfect. He is good, but he is too demanding. The law demands. It's called the law. The law is actually called the law of demand. He would demand from you: be holy, be righteous, pray, fast. And this woman is frustrated. Yes, this husband is too perfect. I can't marry him. I can't. Because if I don't lay the bed, it's trouble. If I'm drying the line and I mix the pecs, pink, purple, blue. No, it has blue, 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 blue. Pink, 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 pink red, 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 red. Just follow a very powerful system. You don't mix white with brown. No, white is white. Too perfect. Yay! Walking in the hall, all of a sudden, one glass slipped out of your arm. Pa! Can't you see? Perfect husband. <sighs> Put the glass at the edge of the table and hand hit the pat. So when you were putting the glass there, you didn't see it. Was perfect. That's the law. But Jesus said this. Something had to happen. The only way we were going to be free from the law, we had to die. And do you know how we died? When he was dying, on the cross of Calvary, he fulfilled what happened in the days of Moses. He said, anyone that sees me shall die. In Exodus 33. But nevertheless, I shall show you my goodness. And I'll cause my name to be declared before you. And I'll declare my name before you, Jehovah, Jehovah. He shall see my goodness. And he shall see my mercy. Because I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious to. And I'll be merciful to. And the Bible said, the Lord lifted Moses and put him in the cleft of the rock. And he passed over Moses. Because without Christ, you can't see God. So he had to enter Christ. First Corinthians 10. He said, and as they went through the wilderness, they were baptized onto the rock. Because the rock that followed them was Christ. 
So Jesus was the rock Moses entered before he could see God. Because if he doesn't enter Christ, and that same cleft of the rock was when he entered Calvary. And as he hung on the top of the tree, and they were about to kill him, he said when they got to him, he was already dead. So the sun pierced his side, and the spear touched his pericardium, the sack around his heart. Something had happened. Water had gathered around the heart. And as they pierced the side, his blood, because of stress, had congealed. So in the congealing of blood, it's like spinning blood in a centrifuge, in a lab. You see that the blood, the water comes to the top. It's called the plasma. Then the base has the red blood cells, like powder. And that's what had happened to Jesus' heart. So when they pierced the side, water and blood came. Blood was the emanation of Adam. Water was the germination of the church. So his side that was pierced was our entry into the rock. So when we entered Christ, why? Because in the Garden of Eden, he gave a judgment by which they could enter Eden again. He said, you are living, living in the Garden, but there were two cherubims of glory who stand for the ones that were on the Ark of the Covenant. There was a sword in the middle spinning and saying that my flame speaks of my holiness. My sword speaks of my judgment. If you can come up to the level of my holiness and meet the judgment I have released because of the sin you've done, then you can enter the Garden again. But if man comes to that sword and the sword touches him, he'll die. Oh, have you forgotten what he said in Zechariah? He said, he shall ask him, where do you have these wounds from? And he shall say to him, it's the wounds I received from my friend's house. Then he shall say, awake, O sword, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall scatter. It was a prophecy of Jesus Christ. The sword that was spinning was the sword that pierced Christ by the side. So that we will enter Christ. And when we die with him, we have fulfilled the sword. When we resurrect with him, we have satisfied the flames of holiness. But because we are in a new body, we didn't remain dead. We enter resurrection so we can eat the tree of life. That's what he did for us. So we entered Christ by his death. So he's saying this. When we died, we were divorced from the law. And we were free to marry another. That's why Paul said, to marry him that raised us. Because he allowed us to be the house where we could die. And he was the same place. He raised us so we could marry. But you know the difference between Jesus and the law? They are not different. The difference is this. He is as perfect as the law. He is as good as the law. He is as flawless as the law. But he gives supply with the demand. The law tells you, do, do, but he'll help you. But Jesus will say, do, do, but I'll assist you. <laughs> this is what he was talking about, the deliverance from the law. Paul comes to talk about the system of the law. Now, number one, sin is not an act, it's a law. And has delivered me from the law of sin and the, sin is not an act, it's a law. A law is a regressive, necessary, recurrent action. That is irrespective of circumstance or occasion. So what it means to say that a law has an ability to reproduce itself even if conditions are not perfect. Gravity does not need conditions to be perfect. Gravity is gravity. Magnetism, mag all those laws, they don't need conditions. They operate by themselves. That's how it's supposed to be. So what it was doing was since sin is not an act, it's a law. For instance, when you attack sin as an act, you keep falling back into sin. The solution to sin, because it's a law, is another law. You use the law of thermodynamics and aerodynamics to destroy the law of gravity. 
you use the law of buoyancy to destroy and the law of flotation to destroy the law of gravity in water to be sunk. You use, so if I'm dropping a metal, I use a magnet to hold it. The magnet is the law. But if a thing is dropping and I use my hand to hold it, I've used an act. After a while, my hand will be shaking. The reason why when you use efforts to keep yourself from sinning, you'll get it. Your hand will be shaking. And you'll fall into the sin again. After 10 years of not doing a thing, because you are using an effort. But when you use the law, the law of the spirit of life <laughs> has made use the law to fight the law. There are four laws of life. First, there's the law of God. Like I said, it is good. It is perfect. It is holy. It is without blemish on all sides. It is the law that demands. It demands from you goodness. It demands from you holiness. It demands from you the life of God. But there's another law. It's called the law of the mind. And Paul mentions it that was. He said, my delight is after the law of God in my inner man. He said, I delight in my mind. to." He said, I use the law of, of my mind to serve the Lord. So in your mind, nobody wants to go against God. Every Christian wants to serve God. Every Christian wants to be spiritual. Every Christian wants to be holy. It's in your mind. But the law of your mind is just the law of desire. It's not enough. But there's another law which works in your members. It is called the law of sin and death. And Paul said, who shall deliver me? So he mentions the body of sin. In Romans, you know, <laughs> he mentions the body of sin in Romans chapter 6. But he mentions the encumbrance of a lifeless body in Romans chapter 7. He said, who shall deliver me? There is a burden I carry. It's a limitation. I want to go ahead, but something keeps pulling me backwards. And this is what Paul said. I came to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. After all Paul said, oh wretched man I am, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? But there is now therefore no condemnation. The solution now is this. It's not an effort. Because Paul said, I have tried and tried. I have, I have tried my best. I have done everything I can, but it seems I'm being swallowed up. Because you don't know. It's not an effort. It's a law. It's called the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life supplies what has been demanded. So for instance, in the law of the spirit of life, it has made me free from the law of sin and death. When the Holy Ghost tells you, go and pray. Let me show you what the Holy Spirit does. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities with groanings which cannot be uttered. Because we know not what we ought to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself helpeth. What he's trying to tell you is this, that when the Holy Ghost tells you to go and pray, as you are going to pray, the obedience of the instruction is the release of the power to pray. Every instruction the Holy Ghost gives you has the power to do what he told you. The Lord will tell you to do something, but there's no power behind it. So you have to use your own effort to struggle and struggle. But when the Holy Ghost tells you, go and pray. If you are only sensitive, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren. The word there is parakalio, which means to say, I implore you by military engagement. Stand up and begin to fight. Parakalio. The Holy Spirit is your paraclet. He is your assistance in the demand. So anytime you operate in the Holy Spirit, what he's asking you to do, he has already given the supply. That's why you have to follow the Spirit. He said, I'm free from the law of sin and death. 
because of the law of the spirit of life. So what means it? Someone is calling you. Someone wants you to go somewhere you shouldn't go to. Don't think about it. Start speaking in tongues. As you start speaking in tongues, he'll tell you, don't go today. You're like, Lord, why? He'll just say, don't. in not going today, he has delivered you from the attempt of using self-effort. Have you noticed that when you tell the Lord, Lord, I want to wake up at five and pray. You'll be lying there. Someone will just hold your leg. Or someone will mention your name. Hello. And you just go, ah, oh. Or sometimes you don't even know. Some strange reason, 4.55. You are up. Ah. Do you know the secret? When you stand to pray at 4.55, even if you slept at 3 o'clock, and you start to pray at 4.55, because he woke you up, you'll be so active in prayer. you decide that, oh, it's too early, I'll sleep again. You'll even be more tired in sleeping. And when you wake up, and, uh, God, but I told you to wake me up. Then God is saying, God is just in the say, I have patience for you. I have the way I've, I'm tired. If I was an alarm clock, I would even insult you one of the days. Every day I wake you up, yet you are sleeping again. The Holy Spirit. Use an alarm to wake you up. Sometimes you can hear the alarm in the distance. It's as if you have killed the alarm in your dream. Peep, 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 peep. Then two minutes later, you are here again. Ah, didn't I kill it? Then, ah. Then you kill it again. Peep, 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 peep. I don't know now the phones they use. Those days, the phones you use. Remember Nokia? You kill the alarm, but the alarm will still blow. Even if the phone is off, you put off the phone, it will still come on up. Pay, 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 up, 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 up. To come back and wake you up. But do you know why? Because it's an alarm, you still don't have energy to rise. But when the Lord says, wake up, you hear a whisper, then you wake up. Ah. And I'm like, Lord, why? I said, pray. What for? Just pray. You'll be surprised. You'll be sitting there. Once he said, pray. You don't have a topic, but you start. All of a sudden, it's swelling up. You're like, ah, why am I being aggressive? He's supplying the supply for the demand. Don't call a meeting God has not called. You'll be weak in the meeting. Let's do fasting. And God didn't call for it because he wants to be religious. After two days, you're like, ah, I called the fast. I will also break it myself. <laughs> oh. God didn't call it. You called it, isn't it? So if you break it, there's no sin in it. But look at the ones God says. Because look at it. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Not because he said, mm, I feel religious. The Bible said the Spirit led him. So he didn't feel like eating. No, there are days. I remember some two years ago, one day I, was, I woke up in the morning. I was going to eat. The Holy Ghost said, son, I have shut your stomach for the next one week. I said, ah. I said, you can't shut my stomach like that. Though. I'm shutting it. He said, do you own it? I said, it's yours. He said, but I'm shutting it. Can you, anytime I tried eating, I vomited. God said, I've shut your stomach. I knew I was not sick. I knew he had shut my stomach. So I didn't go for with food for days. And it was no effort. He has said, it's time. Our fastings will be more glorious if he asks for it. Tomorrow, don't, don't eat. You are about, and you know how he asks you. He doesn't tell you. He won't tell you. You buy the food, take away you are salivating whilst you are walking back to your car. <laughs> Today, this beggar will be nice. As you open the bag, ah, don't eat. You are like, ah, I bind that spirit. You eat it. 
But you'll be surprised. One day, one of my daughters called, called me and said, Prophet, something just happened. I said, what happened? He said, I had done my milkshake, everything. I was come to take my protein shake in the morning. As I was about to drink it, the Holy Ghost said, don't eat fast today. He said, ah. He was going to say, I said, don't eat fast. You understand why? She said, when she stepped out of the house, a trailer and then you drowned her. He said, when she got home, she was vibrating. The Holy Ghost said, that's why I said, don't eat fast. If we only listen, people won't die. If you only listened, you wouldn't have entered that disaster. Allow him. He is the law of demand. At the same time, he supplies what he has demanded. Because he has worked in you what he's going to ask you to work out. He will not call you a mighty man of valor if he has not already made you one. Every gift you have, that's why I always say something. In this Christian work, we are becoming what we already are. Beloved, that we the sons of God. Look what he said. Now are we the sons of God. Yet it does not yet appear what we shall be like. <laughs> but when we shall see him, then we shall be like him. He says we are, but he says there's another becoming of becoming who we already are. So every step in Christianity is taking away layers to express who you already are in liberty. Then finally he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For the Lord is the spirit. And when I read this, the liberty is not liberty to dance. Liberty to be happy. But if you read it in context, the law was the limiting factor. But the liberty was this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty to be like God. So anytime the spirit of the Lord speaks to you, the liberty to operate in Godhood has been given. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, that's where liberty of the Godhood is operational. There's one law. It's called the law of the spirit of life. That life has impulse. So every time you're working, the more you operate with that law, there's an inward velvety feeling. The more you are going towards what God has asked you to go, there is joy and release. The more God is telling you, don't go, you feel like running, you're, you're having tummy upset. Yet you're not eating anything, but it's like butterflies in your tummy. Hmm. I've said it before. Butterflies in your tummy does not mean something is a nice, you know, girls go like, oh, when I see my, my tummy is speaking it too. I feel this thing inside me. That thing inside you is perhaps the Lord telling you, no. No. That's why you keep feeling nervous. No. Because Bible says in Psalm 85, he shall speak unto you and speak unto you with peace. So if it is God, there is absolute peace. You don't even see any butterfly feeling. It's like, the Christian's default mode is peace. Anything that disturbs the peace, you should know there's a red flag. So it's like, if you are coming to church, you feel free. But anytime you are going to a club, you feel like, ah. Yeah, like you are overriding something. That is, it's like, the more you get close, the more you are like, you shouldn't be here. It's like, because the default mode of a Christian is inner peace. So anything you want to do, that begins to disturb your, disturb your peace. Tells you you are going the wrong way. That is the impulse of the life. Of the spirit of life. It's inside. The more you feel like traveling, the more you feel like, stay. But traveling is not a bad thing, but he says stay. He knows why. Leave it. The more you feel like driving the car, he says don't go. We had a disaster in Ghana. Where a filling station exploded and 153 people died. I was working at the Ministry of Health at that time and had two routes, June 3rd 
One route passes over the overhead bridge where the explosion happened because it was flat. And the fuel was on top of the water. So when the explosion happened, you know, fuel on top of it doesn't mix. So the water was on flames. Was, was moving. So people were charred. People were horrible things. It was raining heavily. So as soon as I came out of my office space, it's driving. So I shouldn't even ask God anything. I said, Lord, which road should I use? The Lord said, use the longer route through the beach road. A longer route, hours. I said, Lord, but he said, use it. The way I heard him, I knew he was right. So I said, okay, no argument. I got home to here. My normal route had received a gas explosion. And it was around the same hours I would have been at the place. It is called the law of the spirit of life. It's not everyone who is your friend. The law of the spirit of life will tell you, don't pick that number. This is the beginning of disaster. Don't. Why if I don't do it, people don't. No, 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 no. Inside. Inside. Can I Higgins say something? The goal of God is not to lead you by visions and dreams by your inner man. The more mature you get, the more here you feel it inside. It's like the world calls it gut feeling, but it's an inner witness. It's like I feel, I feel released. I feel joy. I feel nothing's making me excited, but inside there's a velvety excitement. It's excitement is a way of peace. I call you to the law of the spirit of life. There are movies sometimes I'm watching. As soon as I start watching, my spirit is confused. I said, no, stop. It's not bad. It's not wrong. But the Lord knows what to do to me. So I said, don't watch it. I'm not saying you don't watch it. But one day I was going to watch a vampire movie. The only good said, you are, you are, you are this. I don't agree. So my people watch it. He said, yes, those are people. You are you. Don't watch it. Because you see, the interesting thing about the law of the spirit of life is this. It's customized. So you can eat beans. Someone has been told not to eat beans. Your beans eating is not a sin. Because they have not received instruction yet. I have received instruction. So someone will wake up 3 a.m. Then he said, he eats breakfast before he's able to meditate to the Holy Ghost. So everybody in the room, Joseph Prince says he wakes up around 6. Now some of us, our own is dawn. So don't listen to someone's story and draw your line. Because what the Holy Ghost is leading you to do is not what he's leading someone to do. It is customized. That's why it's different for everybody. Samson, don't cut your hair. Your weakness is your hair. So you can fornicate. But your hair is your weakness. Because hey. the Bible says in Genesis 13, he just finished sleeping with a prostitute and the Lord came on him. Right after prostitution, he had the anointing. You try it. There you see something that the Holy Ghost is God. Everybody on his own. So make sure it is an intimate relationship. The Lord said, don't go there. Don't go. Don't say everybody goes. You don't go. It's you that I'm talking to. As you sense it. All of us will be in the car. Only you are sensing uneasy. Everybody seems happy, but you are off. You should know, please. Can I get down here? The ship was going to a city called Tashis. Jonah has joined it. <laughs> and do you know what happened to Jonah? God didn't have problem with the captain. The problem was Jonah. So because of the problem, the whole ship shook. Sometimes the issue is not that the people who are in the car have not prayed. They are carrying a Jonah. 
the Holy, I'm telling you, one day we had, in my secondary school days, we had a conference, a, a gospel, you know, we used to call it gospel show those times. So we had a gospel show and we had gathered, all the schools that gathered were coming to. So all of us, the lights went out. They know when you're in secondary school, you don't use a lot of zeal more than reason. Like now, all the prayer warriors, get, get together. We need to lift up intercession. And it's amazing how God allows us to, you know, yeah, it's what, because you see, I like God. The truth about this is, I've noticed, man of God, if you have not been under law, you abuse grace. Yeah. Sometimes you need to go to raw law. <laughs> Preach hell. You obey. Like the message. So when you are preaching grace, it comes a balance. Yeah. So, some, so check out the Bible. The experts in teaching grace, they came from a Pharisee background. They understood the law. So they knew what they were talking about. Otherwise, you just come, oh, grace, grace. You just go everywhere. When you come from the law, they say, Where you balance the thing? So I gathered everybody, we're praying. As we're praying, the zeal of the Lord came on me. I said, mm, Someone is not supposed to be here. I said, There's an leader who is not supposed to be here. If you sense you are not supposed to be here, depart. Come and see. Then I realized that sometimes some of the prayer meetings, not everybody should be there. Some people come because they feel impaired, not because they were compelled by the Holy Ghost. So I said, If you are not, leave. About five leaders left. As soon as they were leaving, in the name of Jesus, shoo, the light came back. I said, ah. And the Lord said, learn this principle. It is those I have guarded that will produce my results. Because he said, where two or three are guarded, not gather themselves, are guarded. So the gathering is done by an external being. God is the one who gathers. That's where he shows up. That's why you can have 10,000 meetings. If you gather yourself, he will not show up. He must gather us. Then, in our midst, he will appear. Where two or three are gathered by God. Then, there, he will be announced. The impulse of life. When there's a freeze, don't go. When there's a release, go. Don't calculate it based on the person is a good person. It's not a bad meeting because let me tell you something. It is the designer of right for good. Sometimes it's good for, to go for a crusade. It's also good sometimes to go to house to house evangelism. Paul was faced with this one day. And in that dilemma, Paul did something. He said a great door was open unto me. First, second, second, chapter two. was open unto me in trust. But I could not go because Titus was not with me. He said someone was not with him. So though God had opened an opportunity for him, he declined and ran to visit his sheep. So someone had invited me for a powerful program in Troas. But I said, Titus is not with me, so I'm not at ease. So he rather used the anointing to go and visit his son in the Lord. If you are led, you always do the right thing at the right time. If you follow the leading, be at the right place at the right time. You will know when you get there that ah, I sense that this is where God wants me to be. Then we enter 100% perfection. There are followers. Don't follow the law of your mind. It always wants to do something for God. The law of God would demand, thou shalt not do. Wake up and pray fast. No. The law of sin and death, like I said, Every act you are committing that's not in favor of God is a law. It's a law. So use the law to counter these three. It's called the law of the spirit. 
of life. Because anytime you obey the Holy Ghost, you have issued out life into that act. If the Holy Spirit led you to open that business, life will enter the business. If the Holy Ghost led you into a relationship, life
you can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.